Hey, New Life, welcome back to another week of our sermon. We're super excited you guys are listening with us on this podcast. And so if you don't know, New Life's mission is to develop an authentic community that inspires people to know and follow Jesus through worship, community, mission, and generosity. And so you can stay up to date with what we have going on 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 Instagram and Facebook. You can also find our YouTube channel. You can like and subscribe to stay up to date with videos and those things we put out online. And so this week, here is the most recent sermon. What a cool intro, right? Uh, My name is Dave Robinson. If we've not yet met, I've been gone for a little while. My wife and I were on sabbatical from September to December, and when I'm not preaching, I always go to the 8 o'clock service, so I rarely see some of you. Good to see you again, uh, and you and you and everybody. And if we've not met, let's, let's meet soon. But it's really a joy to be back. I'm giving the sixth out of seven installments in our series called Spiritual Wellness, Um, Over the course of my sabbatical, I learned quite a few things. One of my goals, one of them, was renewing my intimacy with Christ and focusing on what's priority in my calling with Christ as a church planter. So I had a few goals, but I spent a lot of time with him, with the Lord, in his word, in a spirit of listening, in a spirit of worship, in a spirit of prayer. I studied Ecclesiastes. My message today comes from Ecclesiastes 3, but I'd like to start by just saying a few words about this book in case you weren't part of our series a while back about this. It was written by David's son, son, both kings of Israel. His son is Solomon. He identifies himself as preacher. I ministered in Hungary for over 20 years of my life. And in Hungarian, the the Old Testament book known as Ecclesiastes to us in English is called Predikalash. And it literally is translated preacher. So that's what Ecclesiastes basically means, but it starts out that way. The words of the preacher, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he tolls, toils under the sun? So immediately the preacher shocks us and he states really bluntly that life is in Hebrew, the word hebel. It's used five times in this verse. You see it there. I've colored it blue for you. But it's mentioned 29 more times in Ecclesiastes. Life is hebel. It's sometimes translated as vanities like it is here or meaningless. That's what that means. And this would lead us to believe, this translation would lead us to believe that life, the life that you live is pointless. Uh, But later in his book, in chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, Better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil. toil." I'm from Oklahoma, so I usually say toll. It's not a two-syllable word. It's not toil. It's toll. So is oil, the stuff that comes out of the ground. Um, But so this verse says better is this than that. So if something is better than everything is not meaningless. It's really mistranslated here. The word hebel means breath, breeze. It's vaporous. And Solomon is saying that your life and mine is vaporous. It's like a puff of smoke. 
And this is a repeated theme in the Bible. Here's two references. Psalm 39 says, Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Isaiah 40, all flesh, that's our bodies, all flesh is grass. And it's loveliness. There is beauty in it. There is loveliness in our created selves. But it's like a flower of the field. Think of that. He's saying, Isaiah, think of your life as a flower in the field. Surely all people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. So during my study and during my sabbatical, I was in a constant state of mind reviewing that life is brief. In May, I turned 67, and so... You know, I'm thinking like, okay, you know, my life's way more than half over. I'm not at halftime. Some of you are not even at, at halftime yet, but, but I'm in the fourth quarter. And so I'm thinking uh, life is, you know, it really is brief, and I'm kind of in that state of mind. So in my study, um, I, I came across this big idea of Ecclesiastes, and one said it this way, and I, don't, I can't better it. And I want to challenge you with this. I'm telling you right now. Let your soon approaching disappearance from the earth work its way into all matters of your life. Our days are like grass. We flourish like a flower in the field, the psalmist says, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. It, that place where you bloomed, it's like, no, nobody notices it. No, it's no more. You know that this is coming for you. So that's all I had to say today. Just go about the rest of your day depressed. <laughs> Kidding. But in general, um, what I'm really hearing from the Lord is what I just shared, that, that I need to work the end of my life into every matter of my life. Live life backwards, as one said. In general, Ecclesiastes teaches me to accept, and I'm asking you to accept, your very, very, very real limits and face these facts of life. You and I will never escape our creatureness. We are finite. Solomon, the preacher, is saying that life is short, a puff of smoke. Now, a puff of smoke is real. But it's temporary. It vanishes quickly. And again, as I age, uh, awareness of this truth, truth has sobered me. But he's also saying life is elusive. If you and I are a vapor, our lives are like a vapor, a puff of smoke, that's hard to grab. Steam, mist, vapor. It's what all these, this word hebel means. You, one said, you can't put a puff of smoke in your pocket. You can't. So he's really saying control is an illusion. Now, I can't even control the simplest of things that I desire, the simplest outcomes that I want. I usually don't even have an umbrella when it rains. When I'm in a hurry, I can't even choose the right line at Home Depot. You ever do that? It's like, Karen, go stand over there. I'm going to stand over there. Hey, kids, go stand over there. And I, who wins? But if I'm by myself, I can't even choose the right line. And in more important matters, of course, 
we don't have control, like your health. Your health can change in the blink of an eye. More about that in a second. Um, in Ecclesiastes 3 is where I'm really taking my message from. So would you join me in Ecclesiastes 3, just a smattering of verses. And uh, the birds made this very famous in the 60s in their song, Turn, Turn, Turn. In case you Gen Zers haven't discovered that awesome song right now. For every season, turn, turn, turn. There is a purpose, for, there's a time for every purpose under heaven. But anyway, it's really a great song. Bob Dylan, the great, wrote it. But here, well, actually, he didn't. Solomon wrote it. Sorry. <laughs> it's right here. So here it is. For everything there is a season, a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And it goes on identifying other seasons. In verse 11 it says, He, God, has made everything appropriate or beautiful, fair, better translation, beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in our hearts without the possibility that mankind will find out the work that God has done from beginning to end. It's a mystery to us. And we want things to last forever because he's put forever in our hearts. Verse 12, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better than for us, them, to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toll. This is a gift from God. Verse 14, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. And so, God has worked that people will fear Him. And this word fear doesn't mean dread. It doesn't even really just mean awe and respect. It means that you and I live in this kind of fear. It's like caution, knowing that we are dependent creatures. We don't really own anything. We didn't create anything and we owe our existence to God, and we should live like that. I actually report to somebody else, I am not my own. So what I learned from this passage, I'm just going to share a few facts of life. One is that God is sovereign, and what God wants from me as a response is to live and surrender gladly. He's saying in this passage that there is a time for everything, but... You and I, we know this. We don't set, we don't determine those times. Everything we do is either a willing or an unwilling submission to God's sovereignty. When seasons change and temperatures drop, what do you do? You plan your, your lives accordingly. You go buy salt for your driveway. You make sure your winter coat's ready to be put on or whatever. And what I take from this in that concrete meaning of season is that you and I submit to God's sovereign orchestration of creation whether we admit it or not. This means that you and I, no one can escape 
God's sovereignty by opposing Him or suggesting some kind of delusion that we should live under, like it's not winter. We, we, can't, we are not in control. He is sovereign. God is in control. We are not. And these passages say this. It says that God is in the heavens and does whatever He pleases. Job says no purposes of His can be thwarted. In our passage that we're in, whatever God does endures forever. God has done it so that people fear Him. So what God does from beginning to end is a mystery, isn't it? It is to me. And we're to surrender to Him with trust, gladly, knowing that He is good. Now, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I grew up in Oklahoma City. And when I, when I grew up back in the 20s, just kidding. Uh, in the 50, 56, I was born. And in the 60s, in Oklahoma City, there were no Texas Rangers. Houston Astros were barely in uh, Houston. Kansas City, whoa, not a good team. Athletics. And, and Mickey Mantle was from Oklahoma City. And so on the front page of the Daily Oklahoman Sports section, we're always a National League team and an and a American League team. So it was the Yankees and the Cardinals. I'm a huge Cardinal fan. And he, yeah, baby, come on. So, what's your name? I got to hear it. So, weekend ago, I, I found myself just strolling through my TV because I had about 30 minutes, and it, the 30 minutes became a little longer than that. Because I found game six of the best World Series game ever in the history of baseball in 2011. So, in 2011, cards against the Rangers at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, bottom of the ninth with two outs. Cardinals are home, so there's a Cardinal batter. Two outs, two strikes, one strike away from losing the World Series because the Rangers were up um, seven to five. Remember this? Somehow, I'm not going to go into the story. It was awesome. They tied it. <laughs> tied it with two outs. Two strikes, and they rallied, and it was seven to seven. Then at the very top of the of the tenth, it's like the Rangers go, No, you're not taking our World Series from us. We're ahead, and dang it, we're gonna get ahead again. And they did. Cracked a two-run homer, and they were up seven to five at the top of the tenth. Cardinals come to the bottom of the tenth, tie it again. Seven to seven, and in the eleventh inning, they win the game. And the next day they won the World Series. Very exciting. Well, can you imagine watching this game for the first time? Your feelings are up and down. You're yelling at the TV. Oh, you know, whatever. And, and wife brings you some Rotel Velveeta. And you go, get the... You know, well, this, this whole time, last weekend while I was watching this game, I was chill. I wasn't anxious at all. Why? Why was I so relaxed? I knew the outcome. That's exactly how it is with God. He's chill. We are not. We don't even know the next hour of what will happen to us. And let alone the, the far future, the 10 year from now kind of future. But God is saying, I'm sovereign. You are to rest. You are to fear me. Um, knowing that I'm in control. And I, and I know the beginning. I know the end. And I'm not going to lie to you. And he promises to each one of us that it will be well. Beautiful in its time.
So in this illustration, you and I, whether you're a Royals fan or not, we're the Cardinals in this illustration. We win. Now, sometimes if I take the illustration a little further, I'm sit, it's like I'm sitting on a couch and God's right next to me and I'm looking at the, the story of my life on screen when I don't know the future like I did when I watched the cards game last weekend. And circumstances stroll across my screen and I, and I get upset. I, go, I look at God and I go, really? Come on, what? Gosh! And God goes, hey, relax. Keep watching. He's saying that to all of us. Guarantee it. We're to agree that he is the master who is in control and live in glad surrender. And that means that you and I have one thing to do today and tomorrow for every day of the rest of our lives, and that is to follow Jesus and be grateful. Life will be a huge burden to you if you are trying to control this chaotic world. It's on him. It's not on you. So surrender gladly. And accept life as a gift, even in those really hard seasons. Be grateful. Continue to be grateful. I'm not going to read all these passages, but 3.13 says we should eat and drink and find satisfaction in our toil. This is a gift from God. Accept your lot and rejoice. This is a gift from God. This is where we get this, this phrase. Hey, you know, you know, I'm wearing a Grateful Dead shirt today, and I used to smoke marijuana, which is legal in the city that we're in right now. Weird. I was arrested for possession of marijuana. Okay, so that, back in the 70s, but I don't have time for that story. But... This word, you know, like when I used to be like, eat, drink, and be merry, or, or Corinne goes, hey, I like to party. But this is not what this means. Eat, drink, and be merry. It doesn't mean that. It, it's not an invitation to debauchery. It's, it's not an invitation to a party with no end in sight. He's urging us to enjoy the pleasures of life as a gift from God. One commentator said, eating and drinking, don't just enjoy them eating and drinking because that is all there is, do it because that is what there is. Death reorients you and me to our limitations and helps us see God's good gifts right in front of us. Friends, family, laughter, music. Each and every day we're surrounded by gifts from God. What if the daily pleasures of food, or what if the pleasure of food is just a daily joy that we all often overlook and he doesn't want us to? What if our work is not meant to make us feel successful and significant, but simply to make us faithful and generous and grateful? What if when you get out of bed in the morning and like your, hit, your feet hit the cool tiles in your room, if you have those, that kind of a room, and where you're supposed to hit them and go, thank you, God. I love this feeling. Love this feeling. What if? But we want our life to include more than enough. Ecclesiastes goes, I'm going to help you snap back to the real world because that's not going to happen. In fact, 
Ecclesiastes says this, that there is no satisfying surplus of life to gain. He asked the question, what do we gain in verse 3 there? And nothing is implied. The answer is nothing. From a life full of desires and work, you and I aren't satisfied. We don't experience really anything new that lasts. That's what it says. Let's be honest. We're never going to find this ultimate satisfaction that you and I seek. The eye, at least my eye, has never reached the point where I cannot take in more beauty or my ear more Jerry, guitar, uh, Jerry Garcia solos on the guitar or Bob Dylan new poetic lyrics. I, I, just, I, I, I don't ever experience that. Like, enough. I'm full. I'm satisfied. I don't experience that. Or the voices of my grandchildren... I don't ever say, okay, that's enough, I'm full, I've seen it all, I've heard it all. I've experienced everything that I can. This is true, Ecclesiastes says, under the sun. And that's a reference for us in the New Testament era to go, what does he mean by that? Did you know that where we're headed, there will be no sun? There will be no sun. Revelation 21, 23, and 24 says that in the new heaven and earth, the place that you and I will abide forever, the holy city, it's described as not having a sun. It says it needs no sun because the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb of God is its light. So that means today, and Ecclesiastes is telling us, outside of Jesus Christ and His promised future, there is no gain. There is no gain. Give up on that. Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What you seek, the life that you seek, will be as it should be, but after our lives under this sun. My last big preaching point will be on this theme of seasons. You and I are stewards. A steward is a manager of something he doesn't own, the manager of the property of somebody else. And what the Bible teaches us is that every good gift comes from God himself. In 1 Peter, it says that we are good stewards, uh, we are to be good stewards of God's varied or multifaceted grace. Whatever we have is a gift from God, and it's intended, it's intended for purposes of his his. Every matter under heaven that comes across your path is a gift for you to steward. So let's go back into Ecclesiastes 3. For every season there is this and that. There's a couple of ways to think about seasons. We think about seasons concretely like the four seasons. We predict them yearly. We know when they begin and we know when they end. When they end. When will winter end? March 21st. When will summer begin? June 21st. When will fall begin? September 21st. When did our winter begin? December 21st. I mean, that's general, but it's kind of right in there. That's how we prepare. But there's another season that you can think of. It's, it's abstract in its meaning. Um, this, this is the type of season where you, are, where you re recognize events of your life that are going on around you. There's a theme to it or a, there's some concerns in it. There are feelings up and down in it. So I'm here to ask you, 
What season are you in? What season are you supposed to be stewarding? This was the heart of what God taught me on my sabbatical. So this sermon will do you no good unless you dedicate some time, even now, to identifying what characterizes, what characterizes your life events now, what matters are now going on in you. Describe the, the sight of it. What does it look like? The sound of it. What is it? What are, what are you hearing? Are you hearing laughter? Are you hearing tears? I mean, I, I don't know. What are you feeling? What's surprising you? What's difficult about it? And this is why it's important to do this thing. This is why. Because if you misidentify the season that you're in, you will be completely unprepared for it. It'd be like having no coat in the winter. It'd be like having no plans for a break in the summertime, a little vacay or whatever. It'd be like if you're a farmer, you didn't plant seed in the spring or you don't harvest it in the fall. If you misidentify it, if you don't know the season God has you in, you won't be hearing his voice, wisely responding to his leadership. And you and I are to steward, though, what he gives and then surrender to his sovereignty in it. I'm going to tell a story about me in a second. But we're to live in moments. We do live in moments. But the moment that I'm in, the moment you're in currently, will not always be. In fact, the last sentence that I just spoke is gone forever. Until it corrodes on digital or whatever. <laughs> this moment will pass. But every moment matters. Every moment has the weight of meaning because once death comes, the moments of my life are not lost to God. They're going to be weighed and judged. This is what these passages say. God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there's a time for every matter and for every work. Fear God. Keep His commandments. Because this applies to every person. God will bring every act to judgment. This means... The moment that you're in, yeah, it's not going to last forever. It is a vapor, but it does matter. A puff of smoke is real, but it's temporary, but it's real, and it matters. Our histories get lost. Time pushes us away from our own histories. Moments seem gone forever. My mother died a little over two years ago, and, of course, settling her estate and looking through incredible amount of stuff that she left behind, which you will too. I came across this in her closet, never seen it before. And I thought, oh, it's my mom's Bible, maybe when she was a kid. I, I don't know. And I opened it up. My mom's name not, is not in the presented to thing. And it, it says Effie Morris, Effie Morris. Never heard that name before. Never, ever. Why is it in my mom's closet? Well, I had heard the name Morris before. My mom was Delma Joe Mason. Her mom, Grandy, my grandmother, was Delma Jane Morris. Her mother was Effie. So Effie dies. Her life, her moment, her vapor is gone. Bible's here, which is going to soon be gone. You can see it tattering. Some of it fell off while I was walking up here even. And... And it passed to my grandy, it passed to my mom, and it passed to me. I can't tell you what this means to me. Um, it, it, and, it, and inside it, it has 
Remembrance. I know where she's buried. But remembrance. She's not going to be remembered. She's not. Let me ask you this. Just think about your great-grandparents. Great, no, no, your great-grandparents. Can you name both names of both sets of, of your great-grandparents? Some of you might be able to. Both names of both grandparents. Raise your hand if you can. Middle. Okay, so four people. Four people. Four people did. You know what that tells me? You are two generations away from being completely forgotten. The, the mean age of the crowd today is about 35. Whenever, if you have children, your children are going to remember you. They'll probably remember your parents very dear to you. And your grandparents very dear to you, they won't remember. They won't. But this, this verse says, God will bring, uh, no, this verse says, verse 315, God seeks out what has been driven away. Time drives away these things for us, but not to God. This verse means that God seeks what passes by like a shepherd seeking a lost animal. He will find it, he will bring it into his presence and bring it into account and show its meaning. And in chapter 3, verse 11, he says, everything will be made fair handsome, beautiful in its time. God sees the whole as beautiful. He knows what you cannot see, and he does what he wills, but no moment of my life will be forgotten. Every tear I shed will be collected in his bottle. Not one loss, not one sin, not one injustice will be forgotten. So back to you. He's given you a season, a season of hopefully increasing your intimacy with him and receiving something from him. So what are you supposed to receive? You got to identify it. And I, and I ask you to consider this story, mine, the season that I'm in. I'm, I'm going to share four words, concepts with you to identify four seasons of my life right now. Karen and I started our sabbatical in September, right after Labor Day. We go to Yellowstone a national park, never, never been there before. We lived in Eastern Europe for most of our married life. And we, we want to see America because we don't know it very well. We go there and it was a time of great renewal. It was a, a gift from God, God's grace, time with Karen, my wife. And it was a season where God said, this is your need and I'm giving this to you, renewal. It's a time for you right now to rest, pray, and contemplate these great matters. But even on our drive out there, it instantly became not just a season of renewal. It became a, uh, a season of open doors and cheering because I wrote um, How Love Responds and I was looking for a publisher and the publisher called and said, we want this final edit by October the 15th and go get the, your crew to give us legal permission to print it and you need to get your final edit to us. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, no is what I wanted to say. But I've been praying about this for two years and all of a sudden the open doors here and they're all clapping. And I'm like, God, go, God goes, it's a time not just for renewal right now. It's a time for you to work and it's a time for you to write and it's not really going to be a sabbatical. Okay? And I'm like, Ugh. submit to his sovereignty. 
But it's also a season of death. So I get this project done and I go back to my sabbatical. And October the 4th, my little brother Rusty dies suddenly. Out of nowhere, hits me like a ton of bricks. And I'm telling you, it was really, really difficult. And my brother Ross, the one on the far left, his wife, that woman there with him, is in her, she's three and a half years into ALS. Really, really difficult time. But what was my need? If God gave me this season, what, what am I supposed to hear? What am I supposed to do? What is my need? And one thing is, David, he was saying, David, it's time to love on your nieces and nephews and your older brother and Rusty's wife, Myra, as you never have done before. It's time for you to adopt a new practice. Call them more frequently. Text all of your nieces and nephews, Rusty's kids. Well, I wasn't doing that. God wanted this for me. He wanted me to study heaven, which I did. And I would love to preach some lessons out of that someday. Not today. But it changed my life. And he was also saying, David, your faith... Change, changes things. It should change you right now. It's not just a season of sorrow. It's a season of joy and hope. Please make it about that too. Because I'm kind of a, one of the pastors of our family. And so there's two funerals, one in Oklahoma City and one in Denver. And it's like, I'm, David, it's not a time for you to just grieve your brother's death. Give hope too. Um, it's, it was also, I would say, I'm hearing sorrow, I'm hearing loss, I'm experiencing death, but it's also a season of family, too. That, that would be one. And then lastly, and I'm not going to say much about this, but it's a season of tears for me, too, a ripping of my soul because I've experienced what my, my grandson, Brooks Robinson, Baltimore Royal third baseman, um, but... Uh, my son Dan is going through a very painful divorce. So it's a, it's a season of great disappointment, anger for me, disappointment, anxiety. And God's saying, David, you need to be desperate right now for me in the area of patience and strength and wisdom. Guard your tongue in your reaction to this season. So let me just share one thing. If you identify your season properly, I would encourage you to pay attention to this because the one who owns it and rules it and gives it is wanting something for you. If you pay attention to him sovereignly leading the season you're in, these two things will happen. It will mean intimacy for you with God. And it will rid you of your desire for control. It will weed out false assumptions you have made regarding the season you're in. No, David, it's not three months of rest and renewal and fixing your basement. That's not going to happen. Yeah, you plan for months for it. And no. See what I'm saying? And it will teach you this truth, to not pry something out of the season, the season you're actually in, that actually belongs to another season. Is it a season to mourn? Then mourn. Is it a season to dance? Then do it with all of your heart. And sometimes it's a few things like I've shared, death, tears, 
open doors and cheering and, and also renewal. But not recognizing the season that God sovereignly puts you in is like missing the truth of God's word being alive and spoken to you in your heart. Or it's like missing the opportunities that God's creating for you. Miss them. It's like not preparing for your taxes before April 15th. You don't want to miss it. So pay attention to these two questions. Identify your season, but then ask, what is the Lord intimately speaking to you? Are you hearing it? Or what opportunities is he creating for you and that you might be resisting? No, I, I don't want that new habit. I want to go to Yellowstone. Well, I, I've opened a door for you that you've been praying about for, for two years. It's time to work. It's really important that, that you strengthen your faith through God's word and looking at these two questions like I did with Rusty's death, and I learned a lot about the hope of heaven. If you don't, if you don't do this, you will go through that season complaining, weak, depressed, and it will hurt you. The season will hurt you. You'll miss the opportunities God wants for you. So I'll close with a couple of thoughts. God is speaking to you regarding an area of obedience, I promise. I promise. What are you hearing? What is your need? What is he intimately saying to you? Like he said to me, no, David, um, it's kind of like he said, no, you don't need your winter coat. It's not that kind of a season for you. No, it's, it's time to write. It's time to, to work. It's not time to read books. And it's not time to hike. And it's not time to fix the basement. Sorry. It's time to have energy in the evening when my grandson is living with us. It's like, okay, I better hear that or I'm going to go through weak, hurt, depressed, and the season will hurt me instead of be a gift where I can see it as something that's, wow, this is going to be beautiful. It's time for this, not that. So I'm hearing in my season, surrender. There's a lot of good verses up there, but he will make sense of it you got to trust that your season will be made beautiful. But I'm hearing the word surrender, personally. Mother Teresa said that her personal way of looking at surrender, surrender is this. She, this is her quote. Accept what God gives and give what God takes. Instead of like, no, just give it. Surrender. What a wise gal. Live as a dependent creature and receive satisfaction from God as a gift to you. But I promise if you'll have to surrender something, and that means you're going to have to have a humble heart. You can look at these verses. But um, James 4, verse 7 and 10 says, Submit yourselves before God, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. This word submit, submitera in Latin, sub means to place yourself under, under the control of somebody. And Mitra means to let go or to, to yield. That means that you and I are supposed to submit, to let go and get under God with your will, the choices you make, the commitments you make, put them under Him. Your heart, your passions, your affections, your desires, put them under Him. Your whole being, your mind, your thought processes, your conclusions, put them under him. 
your might, your power, your control. Put them under him. All of who you are. It's a choice to resign. Surrender is a choice, a choice to, sur- to resign. And if you do, you'll experience that humility waits. <coughs> Submission to him will tame your impulses. It will sever your boasting in yourself or others. Lastly, before Troy comes up and does the communion, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read all these questions here. I really want you to lock into them. Am I or are you in accepting, and name your season eventually. I know you haven't had time to think about it. But name your season. Are you accepting it as a gift from God? Knowing that it matters, even the pain of it, matters and it has meaning before God forever it does are you accepting that am I refusing to accept that I'm a dependent creature who is not ever in control are you accepting that in this season what word is God speaking to you what truth is he telling me telling you to obey believe trust renew your mind with That is a great question. What opportunities is he creating for you? Look at it that way. And then lastly, how am I to be small and dependent with the moment God has me in? How am I? Let me pray. God, we submit our thoughts and our hearts to you and this word spoken. May we take our thoughts and musings before you and We ask that you'd be pleased with them, that you'd guide our hearts and minds so that we can bear some fruit, what you're trying to show us and reveal to us. And we thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.